Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. And I lived the nightmare of um, everything I went through, including, you know, self-harm, eating disorders, depression, attempted suicide, and balancing the two. And so I had kind of those mental health traumas from about 11 to 16. My guest today is named Amy Minhan Corey. She is a mental health public speaker, a singer-songwriter, and she recently released a TEDx talk on going through grief, sorrow, and hardship. Welcome to the show, Amy. Hey guys, my name is Amy Minhan Corey. I'm a mental health public speaker and keynote speaker, a TEDx speaker, a singer, songwriter, and goodwill ambassador to um, Holt International Adoption Agency and HCMC Peace and Development Foundation. And I'm so honored to be a part of this platform and to collaborate. So, <laughs> so excited. So glad to have you on today, Amy. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording and I just I can't wait to hear your story because you have so many different elements to your story that I think the audience is really going to connect with. So maybe if you wouldn't mind just kind of starting off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today. Thank you. Um, it's it's a crazy ride. Um, I was born in Da Nang, Vietnam, and I was actually adopted to the United States when I was six month six months old. And um, we call it a quote unquote gotcha day, which is actually just next month. So it's always an exciting time and a time to reevaluate actually everything that has happened in my life. And I grew up in a tiny, tiny town in Oregon, and I grew up. Um, wanted to be a singer my whole life. And so I did vocal lessons with a guy named Ken Orso, who was taught by the guy who made Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder. So for 10 years, I did vocal training. Um, and unfortunately, though, during those 10 years, I lived that dream. And I lived the nightmare of um, everything I've been, I went through, including, you know, self-harm, eating disorders, depression, attempted suicide, um, and, you know, had, it was balancing the two. And so I had kind of those mental health traumas from about 11 to 16. And then um, I was able, you know, to recover and really push that into my whole career and my whole brand. Um, and I moved to Nashville when I was 18 um, to, to, to pursue that singing and songwriting. And I signed to um, Kent Wells, who is Dolly Parton's producer when I was 19 and really, you know, got to project just everything that I wanted to shine light on, which was most of the darkness that I went through as a kid. And I think it was so important and so special to me to be able to just be me 
and to really shape myself and show off my scars. I have a lot of self-harm scars. I was very open about, you know, eating disorders and how to come out, not only come out of the darkness to the light, but also how to be able to create and maintain that light. And then from singing and songwriting, I fell in love with public speaking because that's pretty much what I was doing within my songwriting. And so I expanded out to really do public speaking in high schools and middle schools at the time. And then um, when 2020 hit, I kind of did more of my ambassadorships with HCMC, which is the Ho Chi Minh City Peace and Development Foundation in Vietnam. And then um, I just recently did my first TEDx talk, which was very big. So I'm excited about that and kind of just continue moving. I kind of have gotten to stick my fingers in a lot of things, but I think the passion has always just been applying mental health and just lifestyle and everything I do can show that, you know, it's not only possible to overcome it, but to actually, you know, be able to do something with it. Because going through it, I know that being told something is is not the way to, to go. It's showing that it's actually possible for someone else to apply that to their own life. And so been an amazing ride and I'm happy it's you know still going <laughs> yeah and I love that point that you made about the power of example because we can be told how to do something or you need to stop this behavior but it's 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 the power of example that really is to me what what it can help other people because I can be told all day you need to stop doing drugs but until I see someone that that was doing the same things that I was doing and now they're living a different lifestyle. That's to me, like, that's what it is. Is like, I, Oh, if they can do it, I can do it. Not just like, Hey, you need to stop. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like exactly knowing that feeling, I also was told something. And then obviously when you're growing up, you do the opposite. It just makes a lot of things worse and it makes you feel a lot more alone and isolated and realizing that you are only, you're the only one doing this. But by seeing someone else doing it, you you understand that one, you're not alone, which no one is ever alone. But also, like you said, it's it's the steps and it it's just seeing their light to just apply it within your own. And I think that's the powerful thing of that example. So if you wouldn't mind, I know it's kind of kind of dark and probably hard to go back to, but would you mind kind of going back and, and talking talking a little bit about the self-harm and and the eating disorder and and where your mind was at and what what were the what were the what was going on in your life? Why 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 did you turn to those behaviors and and then maybe tell us where what that moment was where you where you started to to see the harm that you were causing and like how you got out of that? Yeah, for sure. I started self harming when I was around. I start I tried it when I was like nine, which is very very young for a lot of people. I start I tried it when I was nine, but I didn't actually start doing it till I was eleven. And I was in middle school. I was being bullied. I was being told that I was you know hated. I was fat, so I didn't feel safe in my school environment, and I also didn't feel safe in my home environment because my parents at the same time were getting divorced, and my mom was actually diagnosed with um, stage five ovarian cancer as well. And so it was just so much going on and as so much of life I didn't want to live. And so I attempted suicide. And when that didn't work, I was so mad at that I still had purpose. And I understood that at that age, that there was a reason I couldn't, you know, die. And I felt lucky, but at the same time, I just hated myself for it. And that hatred turned into that depression, which turned into the self-harm. Um, taking my taking it out on myself for a couple of years, and then 
um, when high school started, all the bullying stopped. My life significantly got better. But by that time, that self-harm actually became an addiction. It became a habit of my coping mechanisms. And so no matter if I was feeling sad, heartbroken, you know, all the teen angst that I felt, I would turn to self-harm because it was the only way I knew how to make myself better. And so it started as a numbing process, but then it also then turned into, I need to feel life. I need to like, let my life escape myself through that way. And so it continued very much as a habit and addiction, just like drugs, just like alcohol. It's what I turned to whenever I needed some type of comfort, some type of release. And that's what, what when it got dangerous, because nothing was technically wrong. I was really, really excited about moving. I, you know, obviously was going through high school. So there was, you know, my own problems. And I think it was just maintaining because the whole time I never really wanted to die again. I just was so mad for so long and took it out of myself and then just became addicted to that type of hatred uh, where there wasn't that type of self-love or self-care. It was just a toxic distraction, I like to call it. Um, and then when I was about 15, 16, I knew I was going to go to Nashville and I knew that I wanted to become everything of my hero because when I was younger, my, I, no one was going through this stuff. So my hero was myself in 10 years. And I always talked about becoming that hero and I just didn't really know how to do it. And I remember, um, someone close to me pretty much just said, you know, if you talk about becoming this hero, you got to put the actions behind it. And so I started recovery and I was very shaky um, because it was something that, you know, I really had to work hard on. And then I did find out that my mom had six months to live. And so it kind of made me reassess everything to be like, okay, you know, I've seen death within myself for a very long time. And I've seen what it's like to, to cross over, but I never saw death and life so close than when I did with my mom. And so by seeing that death, it made me realize really what life was. And how life in this way, for me, you know, I have wasted enough time on going nowhere and just staying in that distraction. And it was time to actually move forward and to live my life. And that very much pushed me to really, really, really stopping. And so I stopped and it's been over eight years from that recovery, which is um, an amazing um time for me because it was about seven years that I was in it. And now I'm actually more out of it than I am in it. So it's a big year. And um, my mom did pass away about six months later, but that was kind of, you know, the test on to see what would happen. And I'm so proud to say that, you know, I relied on, you know, that grief and the emotion I felt, but I didn't go back to the toxic um, ways to cope as I once did. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about your mom passing. I'd be curious to know, and uh, and I think some of the audience might want, would like to know as well. So, what what did that recovery process look like for you? What were some or some actionable things that you started doing in your life to to change those behaviors and and change your thought process? It was really hard because for a while, for a while, I turned into a robot, especially because I went from all of this straight into the music industry. And I thought at the time at 18 that I was super mature, that like I was already an adult because of what everything I've been through. And so I very much got turned into a robot to where I would just work and I would just not feel anything. And that obviously was not a very good 
way to maintain recovery for a long time. But it made me realize what emotions I could feel and what emotions could lead to these toxic distractions. And so, you know, I also did exercises um, that I learned in therapy about grounding myself and staying present. And then I know with like self-harm that, you know, you got to keep your hands busy. And I remember as, uh, you know, when I was 18, when I had time to do it, I actually did a lot of knitting, um, which is very, you get to create things. And then I realized that these coping mechanisms was all about creation. It was all about, so I applied that to my passion. So I got to do it in guitar and I got to do it in singing and in writing and this and that and was able to replace um, my coping mechanism with allowing myself to feel those feelings, allowing myself to express those feelings, but express them in a more healthier way. By writing them down, I always felt like I was letting them, I was letting my dark thoughts live on a piece of paper. But as, as long as it was out of my system, that's all that mattered. And so I just learned what worked for me. And that's kind of the biggest thing is that it is all individual. I think knitting is a very universal thing that a lot of therapists do, you know, exercise with, with a lot of um, people who also go through cutting and self-harm. But I feel like it's very much just creating something passionate within yourself to create it externally. And I really just got to learn that balance on, you know, I allow myself to feel like if I need to cry, I need to cry. I just need to, you just need to release it. But finding a release that isn't through tox, toxic ways, like, um, like any excuse, it, it's really just finding no excuse to, to just deal with what you're going through instead of carrying it on for the rest of your life. I found that's the balance and how I'm able to stay within my mindset and also how I can continue growing because I think one of the biggest things is after I went through everything, I thought it was, I thought I was done. Like there was nothing else that could be worse. And by living like that, I felt it was the worst way to ever have a mindset because life is life. And I always say that the world doesn't get better. You just do. So it's just growing. And when you're done growing, when life is done throwing everything at you, you get to rest in peace. And so that's what I truly believe. And that kept me very grounded on just, you know, just living through life and applying, you know, what I already know to that to make it through. That's a great answer. And I'd also be curious to know, you, you, you mentioned that you struggled with an eating disorder. Was that at the same time that you were going through the self-harm or was this more of once you got into the, the music industry and trying to like achieve this ideal, like perfect image or how, how did all that come about? So I had, I, I had a lot of more um, bulimia when I was a kid. Um, I, I would, you know, I would use alcohol to, to throw up and, um, it was very awful, but because I was singing, it was very noticeable within my singing. And so that got put on a big stop, um, on that aspect. And that was, I think the one time I really, really did listen to those who, who told me, you know, this isn't the best. They didn't tell me, go straight up. You got to stop. They just said, there are consequences. And First, that was the number one thing I realized, yeah, this is going to be very consequential for myself and for my future. Um, and so I did struggle with anorexia and not eating for a very long time. And then I, you know, stopped when I was 18. But I think the biggest thing I had to learn within the music industry was how 
I cannot rely on anyone to tell me to eat. I have to be so self-aware that if I'm falling back into those habits, I got to change it because not eating is like not feeding yourself life. And I had so much life I had to take care of. But at the same time, I was in the music industry. Like my team was so supportive of everything within my mental health, but they weren't going to tell me that I needed to eat. They were very happy if I just ate a salad or didn't eat at all, because that's just the image and the idea of, you know, what you're supposed to be within the industry. And so it's not necessarily they encouraged me to do anything. They just didn't make me aware of it. So that was the biggest thing I had to learn within the industry because I saw myself falling back and being so stressed and having my, you know, dinners and lunches at, you know, the most random times. Um, And so that was hard, but it's what I needed in that kind of growing pain aspect to be kind of where I am now to be able to assess and be self-aware of, you know, knowing myself so well to know when I'm going to slip back into something or when I'm starting to go back down that path. So what are some practices that you do daily? What do you, what, what is your, what does your day look like as far as like keeping your mental health in, in, in check? Like, what do you, are there some, are there some exercises or some activities that you do regularly that help you stay in a good mental place? Yeah. And I always, as busy as I can be, I always try to take at least five minutes when I wake up or five minutes before I go to sleep, ideally both, just five minutes to myself if I if I don't have time to just like be in my mind and be in my brain and separate myself from the external world. Because I very much think if you can keep your internal world happy, no matter what's going on externally, you can always remain in that vibration and that happiness. And so I very much just allow myself to think whatever I want to just, you know, be like, okay, reflection time and, you know, manifesting time or thinking time and just allow myself to just be with myself. Because I think so many times we are so influenced by everyone else and so influenced by the world. We truly forget who we are. We just try to shape ourselves into what society wants us to be. And so I very much to stay grounded, to stay balanced, just be just say, you know, I am me. I'm not my mental health trauma. I'm just me. And this is where I am now. This is who I was. And this is who I want to be in the future. And it keeps me very, very grounded. It keeps me very much driven to continue doing what I love to do. Um, And then I obviously, you know, being in the music industry, I have, you know, my playlist of mood songs that (laughs) I allow myself to listen to when I need you know, a pump up or a cry or this and that. And then I do love cooking. It's something I fell in love with. So I do cooking and um, I do driving. I grew up with cars and everything when I was a kid. So that's always a good release. And it's pretty much the same thing as just allowing myself to be with myself and loving exactly who I am. I'm kind of catching that theme. I feel like you've touched on that several times, just (laughs) being yourself. And and I love that message because like you said, like there's so many other influences out there and there's so many, there's just so many different things like pulling us in different directions. And it's so easy to, to lose ourselves and just kind of go along with the motions. Like you were talking about, just getting in that routine of like, go to work, do your job, come home, you know, sit on the couch and watch Netflix and then go to bed and just like repeat and just do that over and over again. it's like, who am I? I, I? I was on a, I was a guest on a podcast a few months back and, 
And the host asked me like, who are you? And I started like naming stuff off. Like I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, but who am I really? Like I left the episode, like, but who am I? Like it, it sat with me. Cause I answered that and I was like, but that's not really who I am. Like those are, those are my titles. Those are things that I do, but, but who, who am I? Who is Brett? Like at the core of, of me. And so that's, that's still like something that's been swimming around in my head. Like who am I? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky question. And I think, you know, anyone would have to think, but I think that's the most important thing is that you, if, if it can impact you to think hard enough to do it, it's, it's a trigger to your better self and to always improving because it makes you realize, like I said, what you, what you're not, who you are and what you want to be. And it is, it's always just something that, you know, I find, I think it's a great exercise, but it obviously makes me think as well to be like, oh, who am I today? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a difficult question to answer because I can I can tell you like all the surface level stuff but like when I have to think about who I am if you take away those things like oh man that's that's a tricky that's a tricky question to answer for mm -hmm. sure yeah yeah for sure well there's a question that I like to ask guests kind of towards the end of the show and and it's uh what's the one inspirational thing that was told to you whether it be like a famous quote or something a friend or a relative said what's something that that had a big impact on your life what's like that one that one conversation or that one thing that like really had a, a big impact or changed your life Wow I love that I feel like oh there's so many I think one of the biggest things that my father said to us as kids, he, we, we, we grew up very, obviously in Oregon, we were very, um, you know, nothing happens in Oregon. So you're very free to do whatever you want. Um, but my father was very much like, life is going to teach you what you need to know. And if we wanted to know something, we would be guided to find that answer within ourselves for ourselves. But the one thing he always told us was to never get into a fight unless you know everything you're fighting for. And that was one of the biggest things that I apply to my everyday life on, you know, just knowing who I am and knowing what I'm getting into and to do the research and to, and to work. It very much told me that nothing is going to come easy in my life and nothing should come easy in my life. There's always work to do on ourselves, on our jobs, on our life, on our relationships, and to just fight for what you believe in, but also know exactly what you're fighting for. And I really apply that to my life too, because I never went to college and I barely graduated high school. And so I'm doing all of these things that I really have to know what I'm doing because I did not get the you know traditional education for it. And especially when I did this TEDx talk, that was the biggest thing I need to educate myself. And especially because I did it within um, a community in Vietnam firsthand. And it was just the biggest thing that really just sticks with me throughout my life. And, um, you know, I, I always say, this is one of my quotes. I, like I said, always said that sometimes the world doesn't get better. You do. I think that's one that keeps me moving forward no matter what's going on within the world. But the one my father told me, it really, really does stick with me. And it's one that I, um, say a lot, um, to encourage other people to just keep working hard and, following their dreams and just, you know, knowledge, knowledge is everything. 
but I think the biggest thing is breaking out of the box of what society thinks knowledge is. So that's kind of what I hope sparks a lot of people when I say that is, you know, be, you know, be creative to figure out what exactly you need to know because I hadn't, I was useless in school, but when it came to things I actually wanted to know and study, I I very much on it. Man, that was a fantastic quote. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I hope it can apply to you and inspire you as well. That was awesome. Well, we're kind of getting towards the end of the episode and I always like to give the guests an opportunity just to share what it is they're working on. Obviously you have a music career. So if you want to shout out uh, where people can find your music or, or your motivational speaking or whatever it is, uh, you're free to, to share your different platforms. Thank you. So my music is still on Spotify and iTunes. It's my, my artist name was always Amy Corey. Uh, my father, you know, messed us up and it's C-O-R-E-Y instead of just a Y. Um, my mental health public speaking, I do go by Amy Minhan Corey and Minhan is actually my birth name that I was born with in Vietnam. And you can type that in and you can type TEDx in and you can listen to my TED talk, which actually just came out a few weeks ago. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and then I always say with my social media that it's not just following me, it's just being a part of the journey. And I think the biggest thing with my Instagram, with my Facebook is I leave my DMs open. If anyone just needs to talk, if anyone needs to know that they're not alone, I'm always there for my fans and for anyone who just needs to know that they're not alone and that they can make through whatever they're making through. And so that's just Amy Corey as well. And I got really lucky with my domains that I never had to buy them off of anyone. But thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for coming on and congratulations on the Ted talk. I know that that's, uh, that's huge. That's, I feel like that's just like a huge milestone. So congratulations to you on that. That's, that's incredible. Thank you. It was, um, it was probably one of the biggest honors that I've had, especially in my public speaking, because I very much expanded into that from music and um, I'm very thankful for it and I hope it can reach a lot of people and help a lot of people. And that's, that's all that matters to me. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Amy, thank you again for coming on the show today and sharing about your struggles and how you overcame those guys. I would encourage you to check out her website as well as her social media profiles and her TEDx talk. The links for those will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.